Good morning again, everyone. Glad that you could join us today, and I hope that you have come with thanksgiving and praise in your hearts um, as we worship our Lord today. Now, as I have talked with several of you over the past few weeks, I've noticed that there has been a lot of trips that have been gone on or trips that are planned for the last month or this upcoming month. Um, Time just to get away. You know, we enjoy those types of things, don't we? Whether it's something that's smaller, like a a few days during the week, or maybe even longer excursions, um, going to warmer weathers during the cold weather, snowbird type of things. But you know, as we get away on these trips, they're a little bit more intentional, aren't they? They take some planning to prepare. And with these trips, um, sometimes they go as planned, and everything's wonderful, and you can have some times of rest. But other times, there's kinks thrown in the work, and it becomes more stressful rather than restful. You know, so as we think about some of these types of trips that we have planned now, we also think towards the summer. I mean, I know that this group loves to camp and get away for three or four days, go up to cabins in Minnesota, whatever it might be. Intentional time to get away from the everyday type of thing, to try to find a little bit of rest, perhaps. You know, and as we've been talking about the Sabbath and rest, um, I'd like to just do a gauge, take a check. How are we doing in terms of rest during the week? You know, those trips, they're few and far between. Maybe a couple of small ones here and there. But how is the rest during the week? How is our understanding of Sabbath improving? In terms of the convictions that we have from the messages, the times that we're spending in the Word? Are we being more intentional about those types of things in our lives? Because as we continue in this series, I want to address today how time affects our rest, the priority of time. Now, I probably won't get into every scenario or nuance that we can get into today, Uh, but I'd like us to be a little bit more intentional, to put it before us so that we can be face-to-face with the priorities that we choose in terms of our understanding of our walk with the Lord. Because time management is a skill, and it's a necessity for us, (laughs) thank you, Maylee, it is a necessity for us to put that first in our Christian life, in terms of our walk with the Father. So this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, again, but we're going to be in chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me there. If you recall, last week we were in Mark chapter 4, so it's just a couple of chapters after what we talked about last week. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 30 through 32 this morning. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, 
even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, I pray that you would give us your understanding, that you would give us your truths, and that your spirit would convict us in mighty ways. In your name I pray, amen. So these three verses are gonna be kind of the focal point of the theme of what I'm gonna be talking about today. Um, It was one of the main passages that I turned to back in the fall as I was kind of contemplating this series and what it means to rest and the reality of that in our lives, what that looks like. You know, because rest is such a necessity, but the rest that we find in our life tends to be such a scarcity that it needs to be addressed. And from a ministry standpoint, there was a lot of conviction that I found in this short passage. So much so that as I wanted to share this passage today, this was probably the hardest one for me to prepare. Uh, Because everything started to come out as more of a projection. And that's not the way that you want to preach the word of God, so you had to be very careful with that. But you know, as we read this passage, we want to be able to draw out meaning of these three verses. And to do that, we need some of the context on either side of the passage as it relates to different areas in our lives. And as we focus on this theme of rest, we're going to see that there are a couple of interruptions within the text. Now, interruptions are not a bad thing. It's just they're talking about something different um, versus the main idea of rest. And I'm not trying to suggest that rest is the main thrust of this chapter, but it's just going to be the lens in which we look through it. So the first thing that we want to notice, when we look at verse 30, we see that the disciples have returned. So when we just drop into a passage like we do today, we want to be able to ask simple questions, and we want to try to find the connections in the text. So as we do that, we ask, well, what did they return from? And we see that there's a connection back up in verse 7. So go ahead and look up in verse 7 with me, and we'll read verses 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is that your feet that is on your feet as a testimony against him. So they went out and they proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So this is kind of the context of them returning. And then in the next section, if you read your heading, it's, it talks about the death of John the Baptist. This would be the first interruption. Again, it's not a bad thing. It's kind of like a, a meanwhile or at the same time as this is going on, this is happening over here type of thing. That's what I mean when I say an interruption. Um, So as with Mark's account, we see in this part of the passage, verses 7 through 13, that it's pretty to the point. Um, You see what they were to do, and they go out and do it. A couple of side points for us to kind of focus on within this. I thought it was kind of interesting that they go out two by two. They go out in pairs, It's kind of a good model for ministry. We see this in the early church with 
Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, and they go out and they're um, preaching the gospel message and they're doing things in pairs. Um, you know, as we see this, though, it's not always the case that, that it can happen that way. You know, you have people like Philip who go out and evangelize by themselves. There's some instances where Paul is by himself as well. And then when you bring that up into modern day and you look into the rural areas, many churches have solo pastors where there's just one person in ministry. Um, so it's not that it's something that is a necessity to have two people go. I mean, in some areas you still might have itinerant preachers where they go around and preaching a circuit or bivocational pastors where you are working somewhere else and maybe there's not a call on somebody to have that full-time position for that community. But, you know, when you are evangelizing, when you're preaching, when you're answering that call and it's just you, you go. You go and you obey that call of God. Now, there is health and strength in numbers for sure, but we'll soon see why that's also not the always definite reason for success. So we see how the disciples, they go, and they're proclaiming repentance. They're casting out demons, they're anointing many who were sick, and they're healing people. So they see a lot. They experience a lot in ministry, and the Spirit is working through them in strong ways. And I can tell you, when you experience things like this and you see the results like the disciples did, you get fired up. You want to keep going. You want to keep pushing forward in ministry because you see God working in strong ways. Your faith is being bolstered through all of this. By leaps and bounds, you are growing because you see the goodness of God. You see him meeting the needs of the people around him. And it's exciting. You know, we don't know how long they were away from Jesus. Probably a couple of weeks. It depends on how far away the villages were. Generally, it's thought that the disciples were just kind of going out ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. Um, they were going and preaching repentance so that when Jesus got there, they would be ready to hear his words. They were healing some of the sick that were there so that when Jesus got there, he wasn't using up all of his time to heal everyone um, because that can take a lot. So it's probably a few weeks, maybe a month that they're gone and they're off doing this ministry. They're being sent by Jesus, they're obeying, they're, and they're finding it fulfilling. They're finding it satisfied. And then they come back. And this is where we pick up in our passage. They come back and they report everything back to Jesus of what they did and what they taught. And then we see Jesus give a command. The imperative in this directive is rest. Come away is an interjection. It's an adverbial form. It can have an implied command in it, an implied imperative. So it's implied that they need to go to an uninhabited place in order to find and experience rest. Rest is the main point within this. Rest is what Jesus wanted to convey to them. And we see the reasoning given right there. Because as they were coming and going, people were just constantly coming that they had no leisure time. They had no time to eat. Ministry was happening at a rapid pace. So as, as the disciples were experiencing this, Jesus understands that they needed rest. You know, they were doing this constantly. No matter how exciting it was, it would be draining on them. 
So as Jesus gives this command, they get ready and they go. Now it's difficult to understand this at times because the disciples were doing good things. Ministry for the most part can be good. How can you have too much of a good thing, right? They're being helpful, they're being obedient. And you know, not even as a pastor, I mean I have a different perspective and understanding of this passage. I have different experiences that hit me deeply. And I don't wanna project that on you this morning. But as a person who is doing some form of ministry, not necessarily even church ministry, so I wanna keep it open, I wanna keep it vague, um, because I don't want you to check out if you're not involved in some formal ministry at church. Because in different ways, you all serve different people. And I want you to connect in that way. As you see different results happening in your life, as you see the beauty of serving God, it can bolster your faith to the point where honestly you want more. You want to see more. And you get to the point where you're serving people and people keep coming to you because they see that you're serving. They see God working through you and all of this good stuff is happening because it's ministry. And because you're being the hands and feet of Christ. You're serving God. So how can that be bad? Well, it can get draining. You know, if you are constantly serving, there's a good chance for you to break. Think of being a parent. You are serving in wonderful ways your children. But it can be exhausting. You can lose your focus of serving. You can build up resentment and frustrations. As Jesus gives this command, He's implying the necessity of finding time to rest, to recuperate after you serve. And have I said that this is a command? We have to understand that. You need to rest. And by rest, I mean refreshment in the Lord, period. Vacations are great. They can be relaxing. Movies, video games, entertainment, they can numb us for a while. But I am talking about time away from technology and spending time in the word, spending time in prayer with God where he is filling you with the strength that you need in order to serve him. And again, this command is hard for me for many reasons. One of the reasons is because of what happens next. Now, the heading in, our, in your Bibles might say the feeding of the 5,000. You know, we know this story pretty well. And our passage happens to be right at the beginning of this account. You know, we see this command that Jesus gives. He's being intentional with it. Okay, all right, let's get the disciples away so that they can have this time of rest. They just got back from some intensive service. They need to process everything that's gone down. They need to be filled with the Father. It's good. Let's go get them some rest. You know, he has good intentions here. And that's what counts, right? It's a thought that counts. But intentions don't always become a reality. This happens so much in our life. I meant to take a break. I meant to be in the Word this morning. I meant to spend time in prayer. But life happens. Jobs happen, the kids crying, 
Things are happening. I just, I don't have time. Issues get in the way. And we forego this idea of rest during the week. And we hold it off to maybe once or twice a year. Maybe. And again, what gets me is what happens with Jesus' response to the crowds. So let's read this next interruption and look for that. So, beginning in verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Well, so much for the disciples resting, right? And did you notice Jesus' response? He sees the large crowd and he has compassion on them. So he begins to teach. Now perhaps he had a little bit of rest while the disciples were away. Perhaps he was energized and he was ready to do this. But how often do situations like this happen as we plan to be intentional for rest? Something always comes up. Somebody gives us a phone call. Somebody needs some help with something. Again, I can focus on what Jesus does here in order to justify my own lack of rest. I'm just having compassion on people. Jesus does it. I need to be more like Jesus, right? So, of course, I need to forego rest and have compassion on those that are in need. But the constant go, go, go without rest leads to frustration, resentment, and bitterness. Let's talk about the the rest versus compassion a little bit. See, the compassion that he has for the people sidetracks the intentional rest that he had planned. And this is hard to wade through. I mean, how do you take times of rest without looking like a jerk? How do you create these boundaries with people that can be upheld to where you can operate at your best? How can you do ministry-type things in healthy ways with healthy boundaries to people in need? Because both things are true at the same time. You need rest and people are in need. People need to hear the gospel message. They need to receive the healing of Christ. And you need to rest so that you're not burnt out. Both need to happen. And again, there are so many examples that we can point to in order to see how this is to be applied in real life. There's different perspectives from all of this. 
You see, we can, we can understand from the side of those who are serving, the ministers, and we can understand from, from the people who need help. You know, hopefully, at times when we look back in our life, we can see where we were in both situations. We can see perspectives from both of those in our lives. This morning, I want to lay out some, of, some rhetorical thoughts or questions. Again, just to kind of put ourselves in the mindset. Maybe some of these thoughts have run through your mind with different scenarios at some point in your life to show how this struggle happens. From the perspective of the people in need, perhaps they looked up and they thought, well, there's Jesus. Surely he can help me and he will help me because he's Jesus. I mean, why would he not want to help me? He's somebody that's sent from God, so that's his job, right? Jesus, how come you help the people from that city but you're bypassing my city? Do you not like me? What about a perspective from Jesus or the disciples? Man, I can't wait to get away for a break. This is going to be fun. Oh, that's kind of a, a big crowd running along the shore. They keep picking up more and more people. Are they going to be right where we land? Like, seriously, can we not get one hour's worth of a break here? What's going on? Is it just me that has to take care of everybody's needs? Again, there could be a million other thoughts and scenarios that run through our minds with these types of questions, these types of thoughts. Within the main context of of ministry within this passage, we can perhaps see how some of these accounts can be lived out in our own lives. And when you expand this to our understanding of relationships with other people, and we broaden that, perhaps our contexts can go into the lines of marriage, parent and teenager, parent-children dynamics, the workplace, where there's, there tends to be somebody who is a minister, who is serving someone else, and somebody else who is in need. Think about your jobs for a minute. After working 50 to 60 hours a week, aren't you glad when the weekend comes? When you might get a day off? But of course, with technology and our phones, are we ever truly out of work or away from work? In a lot of ways, we're on call 24-7, just through texts, emails, phone calls. And, you know, we tend to work six days a week anyway, but it does feel good to leave the office or the work site, depending on where you're at. But what about when you have a home office? Do you ever really leave work? And then, of course, when you come home, work just kind of changes into house projects and chores and to-do lists. But at least you're home. Even if you desire rest. What about stay-at-home parents? Where does your rest come in? You ever have that scenario where you look at your house and it's a mess and you send the kids outside so you can clean up the mess? And they have it timed perfectly so that right when you're done and you just sit down, they come back in and need a snack. Or maybe you're lucky enough and you have a lock on your bathroom and you go in there and you lock the door and immediately there's fingers underneath the door, there's a knock because somebody needs something. And you're thinking to yourself, when is this going to end? 
when can I catch a break? There's so many ways that we minister to others. There's so many ways and times where we need help from others, from our bosses, from our spouses, from our children. And you know, maybe we have the personality that feels guilty about asking for help, so we never do. And we just sit and we stew. What tends to happen is frustration builds up because we're not finding rest. We're always working. We're always searching for somebody to help us. We're always serving and there's not a chance to take a break or find rest. Oh, and then that terrific pastor that you love is asking you to volunteer your time yet again. It's so hard to say no to him, he's so nice. So we continue to serve. Have you experienced this in ministry? Because the pressure continues to build where you begin to crack, where you begin to experience burnout. Again, not necessarily in church ministry, but perhaps in your parenting, in your marriages, in your workplaces. Rest is important. It is a command. As we look at the feeding of the 5,000, I think that Jesus shares a little, little of his frustrations as well within this story. You'll find that Jesus expresses frustration a lot in ministry. Phrases like, oh, you of little faith, or do you still not understand, tend to be common. And they're probably not said in the cute way of, oh, bless your little hearts. Look at what's happening here. You have 5,000 men, so that doesn't include women and children, that follow Jesus. And Jesus is teaching them. He is feeding them as the shepherd feeds the sheep, and it's getting later. The disciples say, hey, send these people away. Tell them to go get food on their own. And Jesus says, you do it. What would your response be? How do we understand what's really happening? You know, the disciples in their minds are thinking, what, how, how are we going to be able to feed this many people? We have 200 denarii among us. That's not even going to create a dent. You know, and then we look at what Jesus says. And I can envision this a couple of ways. The first way is how I would do it in my response, so it's probably not Jesus' way. But letting out a big sigh at verse 38. <sighs> Fine, how many loaves you got? Let's, let's do this. Or the second way. How many loaves do you have? Watch this and pay attention because I'm going to do an awesome work in front of you. Here's frustration number one. Jesus wanted the disciples to recognize their own inability as well as the people's inability to provide food and thus turn to him. See, their attitude of the denarii in that comment shows that they're looking to their own means to satisfy Jesus' commands. They're trying to do things in their own power. The disciples, probably not five, eight hours after coming back from serving, from seeing the Lord do so much awesome stuff through them, are responding in this way. They're thinking that they're the ones doing it. I mean, how quickly does that happen? 
when God uses us and works through us, we begin to think, it's about us. We're doing this. We have the power. We can do this. How quickly do we fail in our faith? They were doubting that God would be able to continue to meet and exceed the needs of the people. They haven't learned how to be consistent in their faith yet or recognize that Jesus was the Christ and that he was more than enough. So much so, here's an extra basket for each one of you full of leftovers. Yet you still lack faith. Yet you still have eyes to see. You don't understand that it's not you, it's God. Can we perhaps see similarities to our own walks? Or maybe we're trying to do things, everything, in our own power, which just drains us faster. Perhaps see these areas where we're lacking in faith. The second frustration, I think, is with the crowds. You know, even though he is teaching them, even though he is feeding them, for those who ran around the Sea of Galilee, not really respecting the boundaries of Jesus, but continually coming to him in needy ways, Needy not so much in terms of salvation, but needy as in continuing on milk when they should be on meat. Continuing more so in the praise and glory of God and giving thanksgiving rather than what can I get? What kind of sign are you going to give me today? These people are just looking for signs. And Jesus calls them out on it in uh, John 6. So if you have some time this week, I would read that passage because it's the same account and it just expands it further. It's the bread of life chapter. And it's a very difficult chapter near the end, but I would spend some time in that where he is explicitly with the, with the people calling them out for their own situations, for their own greed. Where they're constantly looking for shiny things, they're just expecting to be fed because Jesus is giving out freebies. It's like when you go to Sam's Club and you get the little thing and you do a little lap around the freezer and you get another one and then you do another lap and you get another one. They're not really thankful. They're not really appreciative of what Jesus is doing. They're not really hearing what Jesus is doing. They're just wanting something for free. They're taking for granted what he is doing. I love verse 45 here in chapter six. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain and prayed. Immediately, Mark's favorite word. Jesus sends the disciples off to finally get some rest. He dismisses the crowds and he goes up to the mountains to pray. Notice the intentionality that Jesus has of being with the Father. I mean, we want to talk about rest. This is it. You have to be intentional. You have to be forceful. It's not something that's a checklist or a chore to do. It might have to start that way until you can get into some routines, but there has to be a desire behind it. I can get up here and I can preach about rest. I can preach about being in the word, but you have to do it. You know, I gave a challenge back in January to be in the Word and read the Sermon on the Mount alongside of the youth group. How's that coming? Do you have time? Has it left your mind? 
We have to have a desire and a yearning and a passion to want to pursue God in our lives. Not to do it because the pastor keeps harping about it, but because we have a desire and it becomes a priority in our time. Can't make you want to improve your faith. But I can say that if we continue to overlook this area of rest, we will get burned out. We all need rest. And even here, the disciples, even though they're not getting away individually, they're getting away as a team. They're getting away as a group, away from the crowds, and they're processing things. And we see this in everyday life as well. Spouses, they get away. They go on date nights. Parent-child relationships, you go get away for a one-on-one. Work retreats, perhaps, to where rest can be found in the Father. You know, you think about the times that you do get away, um, maybe with a spouse, and you go on a date. How often do you pray together? How often is it intentional to find rest to build and encourage in one another? Are we modeling this for our own children? To where we take one of the children and we go off by ourselves and we teach them how to pray. And we bring them up in the ways that they should go. You know, when we think about our society, when we think about our lives, we can see the intentionality that Jesus has. We can see how it's written in scripture that he takes time to get away to pray. It's one thing to see it, it's another thing to adapt it into our own lives, where he is our model and we are following after him. You know, when we look to our own lives and the question of how well are we resting or what does it actually look like, you're gonna have varying answers depending on the stage of life that you're in. I know for me, I've approached this issue several times. Um, probably one of the most intentional times was when I was in seminary. I was required to write a paper to reflect what needed to happen in order for me to have a successful ministry. And in that, I had to include um, what my rhythms of rest would look like. Because the statistics back then was, on average, pastors would last 10 years in ministry, and then they would leave ministry because of burnout. That was... Math, 13 years ago. They were very intentional with us as pastors to be up front. This job can be draining. Ministry can be draining. You need to make sure that you're spending time with the Father. As we understand rest, we should realize that like the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is more than enough for each of us but we're still growing in the sanctifying process of what that looks like for us individually. So when we look at personal relationships, for an example, in our marriages, when a spouse is not resting in God, you will find shortness, anger, frustration, bitterness, yelling, lashing out, And it gets to the part where both parties think that they're the ones that are doing everything and that the other is just taking advantage of them. There's going to be burnout because there's no rest. Just frustration 
just bitterness. And this leads to conflict. It leads to separation. It leads to divorce. When we think about how we are living our lives, how are we honoring God with the way that we're living out our lives and our marriages? Are we focused on him? Are we just focused on what we can get? Selfish, greedy. Because stubbornly, we try to do things in our own power. When we do that, we get drained. We need more of him, and we need to rest in him. Kids, those who have ears to hear, your parents are not your servants. (gasps) They will serve you because it is God's design. They serve and minister to you, but from the moment that you are born, you are being trained in the process of leaving the nest to where you can be like Christ as well. As you're being trained by imperfect people, mistakes will definitely happen. But you need to come to a point where you realize that your faith is your own and that you have to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not riding on the coattails of mom and dad, but that one day you will grow up and that you will have to believe. And as a Christian, we grow up to serve Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that that is being modeled for you. But we, you too need to take part in what it means to praise and glorify God for all that is being provided for you, for all that is given to you, not taking things for granted, not asking for more, not asking for what's next, but being content with how God has blessed you and your family and learning how to minister minister to others while resting in his grace. For our workplaces, pray each morning for the armor of God to be put on and praise God for the opportunities that you have to reflect his grace that day because we've been given some wonderful opportunities to proclaim his name and to live for him, preparing the way, serving him well. Without proper rest, we can be led to burnout in all of these areas of our lives. And when I think about this command from Jesus to rest, I know that it's important. I know that ministry is important. And there's a balance there that we need to figure out. But we have to understand that for me, for you individually, to be a better minister in whatever area that you're a minister, in whatever areas that you're serving, you need to be filled with the Spirit in order to minister well. And to do that, we need to rest in Him because Jesus is more than enough. The issue is the issue that we have with our priorities, with our time. We might not think that it's worth it. We might think that something might be more fun. We might think that it's easier to not spend our time in the word because I don't understand. We might think it's easier just to turn on the TV. Sure, it's a lot easier just to sit there and veg out. But again, it takes a passion. It takes a heart that pursues after the Father, that rests in him. And when that happens, you are filled with the Spirit and you serve him in such mightier ways than you will ever do by yourself in your own power. 
So my heart, my prayer for, for us is to take the time because it is worth it. If we don't, we're only gonna be damaging ourselves and our relationships even more. Let's pray. Father, I, I come to you with a heart of confession and ask for forgiveness for those times in my life where I have not rested well, for those times that I have not set proper boundaries. Um, and Lord, I wanna just recognize those times where I have overextended myself and you have been right there to force me in the boat to go get rest soon thereafter. Lord, you, you give me and sustain me what, you, you give me what I need and sustain me in the hard times. And I praise you for that. Father, I pray that when it comes to time management, that all of us can seek you as a priority, that we can be filled with you so that as we go through our days to our day-to-day journeys, that we would have less frustrations, less buildup of bitterness and resentment, and that we can seek you with a humble face. Lord, we are yours to use as ministers, as ambassadors for you. And I pray that we can come alongside of your will, that it would not be our own wills that try to supersede what you command us to do, but that we can take part in the exciting work of being your ministers, to serve others as your hands and feet, to share the truth in love. Lord, it is such an honor and a privilege to be your servant. Whether that's as a pastor, whether that's as a dad, whether that's as a neighbor. Lord, I pray for each one that you would give us a renewed sense of your purpose and your will in our lives that if we don't understand what that is, that we would seek you, that we would seek others to help bring us along and confirm different callings in our lives, that you would help us to come alongside of each other and support and encourage one another as we're pursuing you. Help us to understand and know that it is in your strength and not our own. Help us to lean on you in hard times. And Lord, help us to rest in your grace this morning. We thank you for the forgiveness that is offered through your son, Jesus. Lord, we are not worthy of that, but it is freely given. Help us to receive it and to receive it well. Lord, help us to confess areas of frustration and bitterness that are roots in our lives that the enemy is just using to show cracks, to, to help us to burn out faster. And Lord, as we, as we think about the issues that we have going on in life, I pray that we can sit before you to receive your truth from the word. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.